Good morning and welcome this morning to Community URC. If you're visiting with us this morning, we extend a welcome to you. Beautiful morning the Lord has given us to worship together. It was nice to be together last night, some of us, for uh, volleyball. And uh, it was an enjoyable time. And it's a good time to be gathered together in worship this morning. I know there are some visiting because I recognize... uh, an older woman from a hometown, or from my, I guess, call it my hometown, Princeburg, Minnesota, is here today, and uh, she has only good stories to tell about me when, from growing up, so don't try to get any bad stories from her. Just avoid her. Just say hello and keep on walking. It's good to be uh, in the house of the Lord, and as we think about the Word of God being upon us each and every day, I want to encourage you, uh, men of the congregation, we're starting a new study tomorrow night in men's study called The Gospel-Driven Tongue. It's going to be a good study on how we are to speak in ways that are encouraging, in ways that are uh, faithful according to Scripture. So I invite you to uh, come in to that new study on The Gospel-Driven Tongue. As we're gathered, let's stand to hear God's call to worship. This morning we hear these words, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And this is what we are reminded of today in this world which seems so out of sorts. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Congregation, in whom is your help? He greets you this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 282. 282. I greet thee, who my sure redeemer art. A song that comes out of the history of the Reformed churches all the way back to Geneva and Calvin's day, speaking of the glories of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to sing those five stanzas of number 282.
This morning we read God's will for our lives from Matthew 25. In much of Jesus' teaching, in many of the parables, when he is calling his listeners to examine their lives, he is not calling them uh, to consider those things which they have done wrong. Uh, He's not speaking so much, as one commentator puts it, of positive wrongdoing that evokes harsh censure, but rather he talks often about the failure to do good. James says that at the end of chapter 4, he says, the one who knows what he should do, the good he should do, and doesn't do it, sins. Very often we think, well, if I just don't do this, if I just don't do that, then God's law has been kept. But we're also called to good. We're called to live for the Lord. A credible profession of faith is seen and heard. It is seen and heard. Not how many great works that we've been performing necessarily. It's not about great works, but the proof of conversion are those little things, those daily comments of encouragement, those thoughtful actions taken, those decisions made that mean we sacrifice our time to give to others. It's the little things that we often forget about, we don't recognize. And we hear that in Jesus' words from Matthew 25, starting verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This call to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the summary of the law, and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves, is in that daily effort, that daily desire to care for Others, And we may not even think much of what we're doing, but if we're doing it as that which is pleasing to God, is desiring to, to reveal God's love, his compassion, his kindness, his care for truth, his concern for truth, when we're speaking with others, then we are representing him, and we're called to that. And there's warning for those who don't do that. Then he said to those on his left, "'Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels.'" I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these... You did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And brothers and sisters, we know that we do not do all of those little things or the great things that we're called to do. But we're reminded also that God is at work in us as we are trusting in his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. And we are those who are being made holy through his work. And Jesus promises that if we believe in him, we will cross over from death to life. Listen to those words for assurance of pardon this morning, that we can be assured that our sins are taken away. John 5 and verse 24. Whoever hears my word, Jesus says, truly I say, he who hears my word and believes him, the Father who sent me, he has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. How then do we live? How is the law not only convicting us of sin and need of Savior, but also directing us? Well, we live by giving thought, word, and deed uh, to God in our efforts, in our lives, each and every day. Thanks be to God for the forgiveness of sins that he gives us in Christ and the Spirit, his Spirit, that he gives us to live for him in love of others. Let's respond with number 278 in our hymnals. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Those five stanzas, number 278.
Let's turn to the Lord now in time of congregational prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the life and death of your Son, the shed blood of Christ, for in him we have sure atonement. In him we have life, we have confidence. In him we are those who are forgiven, made whole, cleansed. We thank you, Father, for that. And through the blood of Jesus, we recognize we also overcome even death. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that promise. For those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, we think of Judy and Jeff DeBoer and Jen and Rich Baltima and Joel and Diana DeBoer and the passing of Judy's father. Lord, we're reminded that when this life ends for the believer, that there is the beginning of eternity, that life free from sin and pain. We are glory. Lord Jesus, in your sacrifice, we thank you for your striving to live for your Father without wavering in big and small things, loving your fellow man in everything, obeying your parents in everything. We pray that we too would be giving thought to that. Every moment, how you thought of your Father and did what was pleasing to him. We try in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for complete salvation that gives us assurance of sin, of all our, the forgiveness of all our sins, that they're paid for, that our lives can be filled not with guilt, but with gratitude and loving obedience. We pray that our homes would be places such as that, where godly leadership and submission would be evident where honor and love would be shown, where obedience and respect would be given. Lord, may our congregation be a place where love is shown, where patience and kindness is exercised by your Spirit's work. May that be evident in our lives. We pray, Father, for encouragement to those who are not able to be with us, for those who are shut in, for those who are uh, weak and unable to to be here. We we think of Debbie, we think of uh, Beth Zanstra, we think of Barb Zanstra. Lord, we also think of Lois. We thank or thankful for the improvement in her health from uh, from the pneumonia, though we know that there still uh, is a is a Challenge before her to get stronger that she might return home again. For those who've had surgery and are rehabbing from knee replacement, um, maybe from other surgeries this week, pray that you would give uh, healing to them. Pray that you would continue to be with those who deal with chronic conditions, challenges from Parkinson's and challenges from other things that weaken the body. Lord, we we want to be an encouragement to each other. Help us not to be so caught up in our stage of life. Perhaps we're young and vigorous or middle-aged and vigorous or even elderly and vigorous and we just keep on moving and 
We forget that there are those who wish they could be doing those things and would love to be participating in these things. May we come alongside of them and, and spend time with them, encouraging them. Father, we thank you for the way that you love us, how you are so patient with us, forgiving all our sins, guiding us in understanding Father, we thank you for giving your own son for us, that you would not withhold anything from us, anything needful. May that lead us to be grateful and to be cheerful and to be engaged in service. We pray for those who who are connected to our congregation, though not a part of it, we, who are going through cancer. We think of Kevin Boltima. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with him. Thank you for the good report that Rich Boltima's brother's kidney transplant went well, and we pray for him as he recovers from that surgery. May it make a great change in his life. Lord, as we think upon our nation, we pray for our leaders, that they would reflect upon the fact that every decision is a moral decision, every decision is about right and wrong, and we pray that they would then submit to you and according to the standard that you have set, that good, that which is good and right and true. And while it might not have direct bearing on the wording of bills and laws, that it would certainly inform the content of the law, that the goal would be the good, that good would be rewarded, that evil would be, would be punished. We pray for our world, which is very unstable. We think of those in Ukraine and uh, in, in all of the lengthy months that they've been going through this, uh, through this war against Russia. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with them, provide for them, for those who have come through an earthquake and others who have been disrupted because of lack of resources throughout the world or persecution. Lord, we ask that you would move the church around the world to provide for those in need. As we offer up our prayers, we pray that they would be encouraged by them. We pray for our missionaries and their work. We think of those involved with Divine Hope Reform Bible Seminary. Continue to bless their labors. For those in Romania and Italy, ask that you would be with Reverend Corchea and Reverend Brown and Reverend Ferrari. For those in Ecuador, we think of Reverend Landazuri and his work there and the the training that they're doing. We pray that that would be a, a, a great, provide a great supply of faithful ministers to bring the word to Reflect upon the dignity of man, the, the call to, to live uh, and to serve each and every day. Provide a steady income there. We think of those in, in, this, uh, in this land. We think of the work in New York City and the work in Madison, Indiana. Bless those works, Lord. And for those in Canada too, Reverend Prasad and Reverend Zechfeld and their labors with immigrants there. Lord, lead them 
guide them with all wisdom and understanding that there would see unity in Christ, though there may be diversity in upbringing and backgrounds. Father, as we're gathered here today, have us us to listen to your word. Give us ears to hear how we are to strive to enter into the kingdom, to give ourselves wholly to it. We pray that your spirit would lead us to lean into those labors to find that the yoke that is put upon us is light. The burden is light. We thank you, dear Father, for giving us what we need for that, namely your spirit. Lead us to worship you here today, to go forth rejoicing that we have heard from you once again. So thankful for the relationship that we have with you. Hear us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn in our hymnals to number 89, selection B. 89, selection B. My song forever shall record the tender mercies of the Lord. We're thinking of how the Lord provides and cares for us in Christ. We're going to sing stanzas 1, 2, 8, and 9. 1, 2, 8, and 9 as we stand to sing 89B. We turn in God's word this morning to 
Luke 13, Gospel according to Luke, as we continue our study through Luke's Gospel. Just remind you of where we were last week and then some of the intervening verses that we're not going to hear sermons on. Last week we heard Jesus teaching about being ready for his return, having a focus on the kingdom of God and being a faithful steward with what God has given to us, that in Luke 12. Then Luke records Jesus' teaching on how his presence would cause division. His call would reveal those truly committed to them and those who were not truly committed to him. And then Jesus challenges the people to understand what God was doing among them. He says, you can interpret the skies. You know what the, what the skies tell you about the weather that's coming, and yet you cannot discern or you are not discerning what God is doing among you. He says, you need to see that your Father in heaven is providing for you a Savior. He taught them to get right with the Lord before the day of judgment, before it was too late and they were indicted for their sins. And could not be delivered, that in verses 57 through 59 of chapter 12. Then chapter 13, Jesus continues on the theme of readiness. He tells them the end will come suddenly. And his message to all is this, repent, lest you perish. Verses 6 through 9 of chapter 13, Jesus teaches that it was because God is marvelously generous and patient that the unregenerate are not cut off, are not yet cut off, but he warns that those who are refusing him will be cut off. Verses 10 to 17, we see that even though Jesus urged conversion, his opponents refused to repent, as we see in the account of Jesus healing the woman on the Sabbath. And then that raises the question, Does all this uh, unrepentance, does all this um, refusal to turn to God, this hardness of heart, mean that the kingdom would never be established? So Jesus speaks on the kingdom there in verses uh, 18 to 21, and he says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. It starts small like a mustard seed and grows into a giant tree and fills the the skies, it's like leaven that works its way through the, through the dough and impacts all of it, such as the kingdom. Some are confused by this imagery, and so they ask him a question. Many of the Jews thought that the kingdom was already set and that all the Jews would be, would be in the kingdom. But Jesus' teaching didn't sound like that to them. They were listening for that, and when he taught, they didn't didn't sound as though that's what he was teaching. And so a question is brought up from one who is walking with him. And that's, what we, that's where we pick up the reading of God's word this morning. Luke 13, starting in verse 22. This is the word of God. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. 
Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So far the reading of God's own holy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Do you ever have a teacher who you didn't think answered your questions? You'd ask a question and they would respond in a way that you think, well, that wasn't really my question. Until only much later you realized, oh, I see what they were doing. They were getting me to think more deeply or to listen more carefully to what they were trying to say. Well, Jesus was just such a teacher. He didn't always answer the question directly. He often would answer, answer in a way that would lead his listeners to ask a different question or to listen more carefully to what he was saying. This man was wondering about numbers, how many We're going to be saved. Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus answers him with these words. He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, in one way, that's a very important question. How many are going to be saved? Are are, are the numbers saved going to be few? We should, I, I would love to hear that question more. Question about salvation. Who is going to be saved? We don't think about that today. We don't think about it enough. We are busy chasing other things or, or involved in other matters. We don't ask, well, well what, what about this matter of salvation? Who's, who's going to be saved? So it's in, in one sense, it's a good question. It's a question about salvation. And this is of a matter of eternal significance. But, but why is he asking the question? Well, let's, ask, let's get to the heart of that first. In those days, as I said, the Jews were convinced that all Israel would be saved and perhaps a few, a few others that were, were, were good. Jesus wants to get at not how many would be saved, but who would be saved. He doesn't answer this man directly. He says to the crowd, he said, and he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He's turning to the crowds, for everyone needs to hear his answer. This is not just an answer for this individual here where he can have this one-on-one conversation. He says, what I'm about to say, I'm going to say to all of you. And his word is strive. Strive. Well, before we get to that, we again reflect on what the Jewish leaders are, are thinking. They're saying, well, if, if this man truly is God's Messiah, then he's our Messiah and he needs to answer our questions. He needs to, to he's here, for, he works for us. And Jesus, not disrespectfully, but inclusively in a sense, turns to all of them and says, I have a word for you all. And that's what we don't want to forget, the heart of Christ who says, I have a word for all. 
It pertains to those who are living religiously, and it pertains to those who are living religiously, but in a different way for themselves, serving themselves, making their own gods. But Jesus' words are a bit perplexing. Strive to enter the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Is Jesus making a difference between striving and seeking? Didn't he say earlier in our study of Luke, seek the kingdom? And at this point, you're all nodding your heads and saying, yes, he did, because he did. Yes, he said, seek the kingdom. But what he seems to be saying here is he's using that word seek in the way that we will often say we seek for something. We're, we're looking for something, but we're unsuccessful in finding it. We're, we're, not, we're not able to find what we're looking for, or we're looking in the wrong place. So when Jesus says this earlier in Luke chapter 12, seek the kingdom, he's telling them where to look and what to seek. Here he's indicating that some are seeking, but they're looking in the wrong place and will not be able to enter in to heaven. Now what Jesus is not saying is that we're saved by effort. That would go against his teaching elsewhere. That would go against Scripture as a whole. He's saying that until we're saved, until we've received assurance of eternal life through faith in Christ, we need to keep striving to understand the gospel. And beyond that, to strive to live in light of what we know of, about the gospel. What we've heard, what God has done in Christ. He's saved us from our sins and now he's sanctifying us so that we might live more committedly to him. Or to ask God to help us understand the glories of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, what it means for us. Those are the essentials of the faith that we have laid out in our catechism for us from the Scriptures. What Jesus is saying here is there is only one way of salvation. It's that narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door, he says. There are not many doors to be saved. Now, Bill Rikens is something I thought very helpful at this point in his commentary. He says this, understand this, the reason Jesus tells us that the door is narrow is not to keep us out, but so that we will find our way through. The reality is the door is narrow. There is only one way, but he's not doing it to keep us out. He's saying, here's the way. This is the way. Go through here. Go through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. His death is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. His sacrifice reconciles us to God, but in striving to understand that, we must also strive to understand what his life means for us by way of example. We get our word agonize from the Greek word in this passage, agonizeste. That's found here in Luke 13, 24. Strive. Remember what Jesus has been saying to the people through all of his teaching in, in the chapters previous, chapter 9, he says what? He says, he says, you need to die to yourself. Someone comes to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you, wherever you go. And Jesus says, come on, I'll show you all the perks. No, he doesn't say that. He says, 
I don't even have a place to lay my head. If you follow me, you will be persecuted. If you follow me, you will be despised. But I tell you, he who loses his life now will gain it for eternity. He who says, I am not concerned about my status before men, but concerned about my place in heaven. And that through Christ, he is the one who will find the way of life. Take up your cross and follow me. That means dying to every desire contrary to God's will. Cadets, I was thinking about that this week, and so the car races come up on Friday, right? And what are we striving for? What are we working for? The trophy, right? We want the trophy. We want as many trophies as we can possibly get, right? Well, there's something good about that, right? In the, in the cadet races, what do you, there's a couple lessons you're learning. You're learning that, that we're to do our best. We're to give our best, right? God says, strive, do your best. Give yourself to the work before you. And there's that lesson that, yes, one day there is a, a reward coming that God will give all, to all those who are in Christ. So, so there's something about that that we're, that we're looking ahead. But there's also some dangers in such competition that we sometimes think, well, I, wanna, I want all the trophies I can get here. I want all the accolades. I want all the awards that I can get now. Because I really care most about what my friends think of me or what, my, what men around me are saying. Are they praising me for how good I did? And do I kind of like that when people say, wow, that was really impressive what you did there? So there's lessons, and there's, but there's also there, there's positive lessons and there's negative lessons, right? Jesus says we strive... For the prize that is ahead of us, not for that which perishes. The treasures of this earth are consumed by rust or moth, as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. No, we're to look higher. We're to, we're to not look for the praise of men. Now, it's fun to get a trophy. It's fun to be recognized. It's, it's fun, perhaps, even to prepare for the competition and do our best. But we live for something bigger. We live for God's glory. We live to make much of Him. He promises an eternal prize, but it's a gift. It's not something we earn. We aren't praised, but God is praised. We need to strive to fight against self-glory and to strive to live for God's glory. And striving is more than going through religious motions. It means learning what we need to die to and what we should live for. Some of which we've already, we've just discussed. We don't live for man's praise. We live for God's glory. But all of the particulars underneath that, what does that look like as a husband? What does that look like as a wife? What does it look like as a child in the home? What does it look like as a classmate? What does it look like in our jobs? What does it look like in our leisure? How are we remembering God's word to encourage, to build up, to serve in all of those capacities? 
We're to give all of ourselves to him, our bodies, our minds. God saves us from sinful love of self to righteous love of him. Young people, I was thinking too of how Paul speaks of this striving, this this agonizing, this controlling of his body. We have strong passions, but these passions are to serve the Lord and to be controlled. Listen to what Paul says, I discipline my body, I control it, lest I be disqualified for the prize which is set before me in Christ. These passions don't rule us. We're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, lives of purity. He's speaking to the Corinthians in these words. I control my body amongst those who were immoral. People of God, it also means striving to, to control our thoughts. We take every thought captive, Paul says, to the mind of Christ, to think about things which are good and pure and right and true. Every thought captive to obey Christ. We are saved to worship God every day, not just on Sunday. Paul equates striving this way. He says, I want to learn the power of Christ's resurrection. What does he mean when he says that? I want to to learn the power of Christ's resurrection. Well, elsewhere in Romans 6, he talks about how when we are buried with Christ in baptism, we're dying to sin. And when we're raised with him, we're raised to newness of life. We don't think the same way we did before. We don't live the same way we did before. The power of Christ's resurrection in us is this. Sin is left dead in the grave and new life bursts forth. Paul says, I press on to make this my own because Christ has made me his own. He makes that connection. If I'm connected to Christ, then this surely shall follow. This striving. Some believe that they're saved by their religious life, by their religious background. Jesus indicates in this story about the master that it's not enough to know the name of God when the master has closed the door and you come knocking on the door saying, Lord, open to us, using the name that you say, well, this is a name of reverence, of respect. I know the name. And Jesus says, but the door will not be opened or you have not a right relationship. He says, "I I don't know you. Jesus warns that a day is coming when the door of salvation would be closed and no special pleading would open it. There's no entrance into heaven without trusting in Christ. That's what he's saying. Look to me. He's telling them earlier, as I I said in our opening, that, that today is the day of salvation. You can see the skies and tell what kind of weather it is, but, but you, you don't understand what God is doing in your day. You, you, you can't look around and see what God is doing. He's brought you a Savior, and yet you continue to reject him. 
You trust in other things, including your religion. He says, not even religious people can, or not even religion can save a person. Listen to what he says in verses 25 to 27. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And these are searching verses. These are challenging verses. These people were acquainted with Jesus. They were those in the crowd who had seen Jesus' miracles. They had ate with Jesus. They had drank with Jesus. They had heard him teach. But they had never believed in him. If they are warned... With their limited knowledge of who Jesus was, this is, understand, this is before he died on the cross, before we could see his, his work complete. If, if even they are told and warned, how much more are we warned? We hear the word preached every week. We have the Bible, the full scriptures in front of us, teaching us who Jesus is, what he did, how, what he accomplished, and how we can be united to him by faith. We hear the call. We participate in Lord's Supper. We eat and drink the the bread and the wine as we remember what Christ's body and blood means for us. We understand this. The sacraments make the promise of the gospel more clear. And yet it's possible for us to sit and say, well, yeah, okay. It's all good teaching and I know it. I understand it. While not having humbled ourselves, repented, of our sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The question set before us is, do I know him? Do I trust him? It won't be enough on that last day to say, I, I, I know all the names, I ate and drank, I, I know the doctrine. Christ knows our hearts. He knows we are in right relationship with him. He knows if we trust him. And he will say to the merely religious, those trusting in religion, depart from me, I I do not know you. Who will be saved? Those who are known by God as being in right relationship with him through the narrow door, through the only way, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are hard but clear verses. Jesus will judge empty words and empty religion. Those who reject God and his Messiah will be cast out, verse 28 says. This is from Jesus' lips. I say that, I emphasize that, because people will often say, well, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the God of the Old Testament. He's so mean and cruel, and Jesus is is more welcoming. These these words about about hell are from Jesus' lips. He warns us. This is the Bible's doctrine of hell. This is, this is Christ's teaching on hell. This is, there's a, this is going to be a place of eternal misery reserved for those who reject God and his Savior. That's what people are judged for. They have no excuse for not believing in God. His reality, his existence is all around us, seen around us, and man is without excuse. We read in Romans 1. In that place, Jesus describes there will be Bitter tears of grief, 
shed over all that has been lost. There will be gnashing of teeth in anger at being shut out, though these individuals will say, I followed all my rules. I was a good person. I did what I thought needed to be done. I was better than many. I was better than most. And Jesus will say, I never knew you, for you have not acknowledged me, nor have you trusted in me. People want to know how many will be saved. Jesus wants them to know how soon the end will come. And he says, don't fail to respond today, for today is the day of salvation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that he will go through, that many, he talks about numbers, he says many will go through the gate that leads to death, but few will find that, that gate which leads to life. There he talks about the many and the few. Talks about numbers. Luke's gospel, his theme is on that, and I've said this before in our study in, in, in Luke's gospel. He's about how the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. It's about the wideness of God's love, showing his love to all people and saying, My Savior, my Son, is given for the forgiveness of sins for all who believe in him. The t- that term son of man, which, which Jesus uses more than any other to refer to himself, is significant. It's, he's not the savior of Jews only. He took on flesh so that he might be a savior for all who would believe in him. His death brought life for people from all walks of life from all nations. People will come into the kingdom from everywhere. Verse 29, people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And the Jews prided themselves as being Abraham's descendants. What they ignored was that God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations. Genesis twenty two eighteen, And through his seed, a covenant of salvation was sealed for the salvation of the nations. Galatians three sixteen. On the other side of the door of salvation, there's room for everyone who comes to God through faith in Christ. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, and those people from east and west and north and south. There's room. But there's one way. That narrow door. The heavy words of judgment are set against the beautiful invitation given to enter through the narrow door, through that is through Christ by faith. Jesus says the people who had always been understood to be outsiders would enter the household of God, and people who always thought themselves to be insiders would find themselves outside looking in. It's a matter of relationship. I know I said just last week, people will say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's true. It's true in part. It needs to be a relationship. We need to understand who Jesus is, however, and that's what we're learning here. Those have to go together. Jesus says, you must know me savingly. Something else that this shows us shows how inclusive Christianity is. East and west, north and south.
In one sense, Christianity is the most exclusive of all religions. According to Jesus himself, there's only one way through him. Only one narrow way of salvation. Those who find it are included. Those who don't are excluded. But in another sense, Christianity is the most inclusive of all religions. It doesn't matter where you live. It's not just for people of a particular background. Just people who live in the West, as we note so often. Or those who live in democracies. Not just for those who are smarter or richer or well-connected. Salvation is for anyone who recognizes himself to be a sinner and then prays to God to receive him for Christ's sake. It gives hope to everyone as this is the day of salvation. If you haven't embraced Christ by faith, that's not too late. It's also not too early. You don't have to be a long-timer. You don't have to be in the church decades before you make profession of faith. Before you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, from a young age, you say, I know God to be working. I know God to be providing in Jesus Christ a Savior for me, for I am a sinner. Ask God to forgive your sin, to reckon you right with him through Christ. Who will be saved? Those who are united to Christ. And when united to Christ, we're changed. We strive now. We strive to do what God calls us to do. We strive to fight against sin. We strive to love God more, to love sin less, to serve him more, and to serve self less. To love self less and love neighbor more. Jesus has been teaching this. God continues to teach it over and over that we might not miss it. We're to strive to understand the gospel, the beauties of forgiveness in Christ, all sins taken away, the assurance that comes, the realities of the gospel, that it is only through Christ that we can be saved. That as we understand Christ's death and resurrection, we see that we are to be reflecting that, dying to sin and rising to newness of life. With the confidence that just as he has gone in his ascension into heaven, so too shall we ascend to be with him at his return. There is so much here that is of help and of good hope for us when so much around us is fleeting and troubling. This is what we are to understand. We're to strive against sin, to die to sin, and to strive to live for Him. The way is narrow, but it's open to any who recognize their sin and believe in Christ as Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are so many things in our lives that are teaching us. Indeed, all of life has lessons for us. Things that we are to remember and to strive for. Things that we are to remember and to work against. We pray, Lord, that we would learn those lessons well. 
to do the good that we know we ought to do in keeping with faith and repentance, to not do that which is wrong and brings your displeasure. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins completely and entirety in your Son. And we pray that our lives now would be lived in gratitude as we regularly, daily reflect upon your goodness to us, that you want only what is best for us. In our, in our walk, may we learn that right path and know that narrow door is not narrow because you want it to be hard for us, but you want us to strive for there is no other way. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 484. 484 is a song that we respond with. On the good and faithful, God has set his love. When they call, he sends them blessings from above. We're not striving in uh, this call to increasing Christ-likeness, to holiness on our own strength, but God provides. We're going to sing those three stanzas as we stand to sing number 484.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that in this life we will have trouble. In this life we may also know blessing. But our our lives are not found in the abundance of our possessions. And they can very quickly be taken away. And we think about those who have lost so much in Turkey and Syria through that earthquake that has occurred there. We know, O Lord, that you are working in that place and that you are also calling the church to respond in love. We pray for the work of Word and Deed and Reformed Mission Services as they respond to the great need there. We ask, O Lord, that the funds would be used the purpose that they are given. It would be an encouragement to those who have lost so much that you are a God who provides daily for need. That through this, your people would grow stronger. That those who don't know you would look to you, turn from their sin and believe in you. Hear us, we pray, as we offer these gifts along with our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we receive God's parting blessing. Lord, send you forth with these words. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.